Let's take a moment and pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you that you have given us your word. And Father, that you have written this by the Holy Spirit. And that there could be no doubt about what your word is, what your promises are to your people. And Father, we look at this today and we ask that you would open up this scripture to us. Lord, that by us understanding your word here in Mark chapter 11, that you would bring about a change in us. That you would build our faith, that you would build our love toward you. And Lord God, that you would turn this community into more and more of a praying community the hope city church lord we ask as well as we look at this word that you would help me the teacher today not to get in the way of the word lord but let it speak for itself and that you would fill us afresh with a zeal to know to love and to understand your scriptures we pray this in jesus mighty name amen amen so let's Read together from Mark chapter 11, 22 to 25. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Now, before we dive in, uh, if you have a King James Bible or a New King James Bible, you may have a verse 26. If you don't have a New King James or a King James Bible, it's likely that your Bible jumps straight from verse 25 to verse 27, which is a little bit disconcerting when we see that happening, isn't it? And you, you get people say, well, this verse has been taken out of the Bible. So why is it that you don't have a verse 26 if you are in the NIV or another translation? Well, it's because... Verse 26 came later, so the earliest manuscript copies of the New Testament don't actually include verse 26. Uh, They go straight from 25 to 27. The later manuscripts, some of them do include verse 26, and most people believe that verse 26 was actually an adaptation, a later addition to the text, But it matters not, and it's not a massive issue, because that verse, if you do have 26 as well, that verse actually appears in the Gospel of Matthew as well. So it's been tacked on, but it's been tacked on from another book in the Bible. So there's no great issue here. I'm going to read a quote to you. I'm going to read a quote to you from John Chrysostom. How many of you have heard of John Chrysostom before? John Chrysostom was one of the the early church fathers, as they call them. And this is what he has to say about the subject before us today. The power of prayer has subdued the strength of fire, bridled the rage of lions, silenced anarchy, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, 
expelled demons, burst the chains of death, enlarged the gates of heaven, relieved diseases, averted frauds, rescued cities from destruction, and stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. How often do we think of prayer in those terms? When we get down on our knees, are we thinking thoughts like John Chrysostom? When we get alone in the closet, that our prayer can rescue cities from destruction, that our prayer can hold back the thunderbolt, that our prayer could silence anarchy or extinguish wars or appease the elements or expel demons. Do we believe those things when we are alone in our closet or our expectations slightly lowered? We live in an era of impatience, I think. I think so. Do you? Do you think we live in a time when there's great impatience? I know that to be true because I am generally quite an impatient person. It's one of my sins that easily besets. I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me. But I think we live in a time where we are always impatient. We can't abide waiting just two minutes at a set of traffic lights. You know those ones, not just the regular traffic lights, but the traffic lights that they love to set up by Bantock Park. I hate those traffic lights more than I hate many things in this life. But they love to set up those movable traffic lights at the bottom of Bantock Park, and they do it regularly just to annoy me, I'm sure. I'm sure that's why they do it. They think Graham needs to get this way to church every Sunday. Let's put this there so that it takes 15 minutes and not 10 minutes. And so he's stressed by the time he goes. That's how my mind works when I see these small, piddly traffic lights. And it's worse at night. Why is it always worse at night? When you're the only car out and you have to stop at these mobile traffic lights and they stay on red for ages and ages and ages and ages. You're like, there's no traffic. Do you ever flash your lights at them? Do you do that? Because you've heard the myth that these operate on light sensors. So you start flashing your lights at them. And then people think you're flashing your lights at them. And they get upset. But you weren't. You were just trying to change them. Anyway, I get impatient a lot of the time. I get upset having to wait more than two minutes at a traffic lights. If I'm getting takeout food and they tell me it's over half an hour, I'm not ordering that food. I'm going somewhere else. I'm not waiting 45 minutes for my food. And we have this thing in life now where we will not wait. We will not, we will not subject ourselves to be out of control for any period of time. We want the answer now and we want it our way. When faced with an obstacle or a difficulty, we don't really often consider prayer as a practical solution, do we? We don't consider it as a practical solution. Maybe we'd see it as something we're going to do we face a problem in life, yeah, we'll, we'll pray, but we don't necessarily see it as a practical solution. We'll send up a few prayers as a last resort. You know, if all of our plans and schemes to fix the problem fail, well, then we'll throw a Hail Mary. Oh, Lord, we need your help. Or maybe we'll see prayer as kind of an insurance plan. You know, if our, if our plans don't work and we can't fix the problem practically, then, you know, we've always got prayer to fall back on. But I want to say today that through this teaching, what we're seeing is that Jesus sees prayer not as an insurance bet, not as a last resort, but as a very practical solution to the greatest and most impossible problems in life. That prayer is practical. Prayer is practical. You know that, you know that feeling that you get when something is in the way or there's a challenge in your life? That feeling you get when you think of prayer, often your mind can say, well, yeah, it's all well and good to do that. It's all well and good to go and pray, but do the practical stuff as well. 
And actually, we often tend to see prayer not as being very useful, right? We see it as a kind of like something we ought to do as Christians. Maybe we don't actually think of prayer as practical, but Jesus did. He saw prayer as practical. He saw prayer as the thing that moves mountains, that moves mountains in our lives. Not an insurance plan, not a last resort, but as the first point of call. And not just any prayer. Okay, I want for us to see this in the text today. Jesus isn't saying that just any prayer can move mountains. Did you catch that? Not just any prayer, but believing prayer. There's a difference. There's a difference between praying and actually believing praying. Jesus says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says it will come to pass, it will be done for him. So it's believing prayer that Jesus is talking about. And I think when we're faced with a mountain, how many of you have faced a mountain in your life? Something that is impossible. Something so great that it just seems too big for us to handle. And I think many of us, when faced with mountains like that, we're already on the phone with the earth removal contractors before we've even considered prayer. When can you get on site before we've even thought of prayer? Why do we do that? Why do we jump for the practical solutions or jump straight to worry and fear before we go to prayer? Well, if I may be so bold, I'll put a few reasons why I think that might be the case. And this is from personal experience. Maybe on one level, we actually don't trust that God will answer us. Let's be really honest. I think some of it has to do with a level of trust. There's a trust issue. We actually trust ourselves more than we trust God. Or at least we sometimes can. I'm not saying all the time. But sometimes I can find myself in a place where I trust Graham more than I trust Yahweh. And that's ridiculous when you say it out loud, isn't it? It's silly, but we do. I think on some level, there's times when we put more faith and trust in ourselves to fix a problem than we do in God. I think as well, perhaps we think that our problem's too big. It's too big for prayer to solve. There has to be another way of fixing this. Prayer can't get this done. Or maybe we think that the problem's too small to bring to God. Have you ever had that? We're like, well, it feels like a mountain to me, but to God it's just a molehill. He's not going to be interested in that. He's too busy answering bigger prayers and dealing with bigger mountains. My little situation's not big enough to bother God with. I think that's another reason why we don't go to the place of prayer very often when there's a mountain in front of us. I also think there's another issue. I think sometimes we ourselves are the problem. I think sometimes we start looking inwards and we think, well, I'm just not a good enough Christian. I'm just not a good enough Christian. I'm not in God's good books. I'm not one of his special elite Christians. He's not going to bother answering little old me. And so we'll press on without his help. But Jesus, rather than directing us inward to ourselves or directing us to think and worry about the mountain... He encourages us to speak to the mountain. He encourages us to pray that that mountain be moved. And he promises that our prayers will be get answered. Isn't that a wonderful, encouraging word? 
that our prayers will be answered in miraculous ways. And this is a promise that's repeated through the Bible numerous times. Now, what we'll do is in this message is I will work through some of the parameters to this promise as well. Because I do think this promise gets abused. And I know there are many Christians that actually do stand on hilltops and speak to mountains and say move, which is (laughs) strange and not actually what Jesus is teaching. But let's also catch the positive message here. Let's not miss what Jesus is saying because we're so keen to push against any errors, okay? This promise about answered prayer, it gets said over and over and over again by Christ in the New Testament. I'll read just a few of Jesus' words to you just to convince you of this, just to give you courage and confidence that when we pray in faith, Christ says that God will hear and answer. In John 14, verses 13 and 14, Christ says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, that is, remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Not might be not potentially, could be, but will be done for you. And John 16, 23, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. This is incredible. But you don't look excited. Why? Because I think many of us are dealing with disappointments in this area. Many of us actually are dealing with disappointments we maybe prayed for things and it hasn't happened. And so we tend to kind of dampen this promise just a little bit. But it's, it's radical when you read it, isn't it? I will do this. My Father will do this for you. It's extreme. It's, it's a blank check of a promise, isn't it? It's an absolute blank check of a promise. I want you to just picture. I want you to just picture a story, if you will, for a moment. How would you act... If a check arrived through your letterbox, not just any check, but a check from the world's richest person, a check from the world's richest person, the check was signed by them and made out to you, personally to you, for a billion pounds, for a billion pounds, and there's a covering note explaining that you are the lucky recipient of this money. You were picked. You were chosen to receive this money, and you can do with it whatever you like. It's up to you. If it was me, I'd be straight down the bank. There'd be no stopping me. There'd be no stopping me. I'd be setting up a meeting with the bank manager to get that cash, get that check cashed immediately. But Jesus says we're being given a blank check. We're being given a blank check. Not from the world's richest person, but from our sovereign God who owns the sheep and the cattle on a thousand mountains, who is the ruler of the whole cosmos. The creator of everything is giving you a blank check in prayer. And yet we so often neglect our duty to pray. 
Spurgeon said, Oh God, thou hast given us a mighty weapon and we have permitted it to rust. I feel challenged by his words because there's nothing, Jesus says, that's too big for prayer. There's no mountain too big. There's nothing that's out of the reach of our prayers because God isn't just very wealthy. He isn't just extraordinarily wealthy. He's God. He is the one God. If our prayers were checks, right, that we received from God, there's no amount that he's not good for. There's no amount you could write on that blank check from God that he wouldn't be able to cash. There's no mountain too big. We can have, what I'm saying is we can have confidence in prayer. We ought to, let me put it stronger, we ought to have confidence in prayer. Not because of who we are. Not because we've considered that the problems we're bringing to God are actually fixable in our own sides. We're meant to have confidence because of who we're praying to, aren't we? We're praying to a God who is able. I want to say also, our faith and our hope in prayer isn't in the prayer itself, but it's in God. The faith isn't to be in the prayers themselves, but in the one to whom we pray. I think that's a key point. You know, very often we can put faith in ourselves, can't we? Or lack of faith, rather. We didn't say the right magic words. We didn't pray like brother so-and-so prays or sister such-and-such. And so therefore, God won't answer my prayers because I'm, I don't have that loud, sonorous voice. Or I don't use those bi- biblical words. Well, that's having faith in yourself, isn't it? That's having faith in the prayer, the mode of receiving, rather than the one who's giving the good things in the first place. Our faith in prayer is not in ourselves, in our words, in our ability to pray. But it's in the one who we're praying Two, amen? But I do want to say, we've got one reason for confidence that God will answer, haven't we? I hope I've established so far, we've got confidence to pray to God for any mountain, no matter how big, because he is omnipotent. You know what omnipotent is? All-powerful, brother. God is all-powerful, so you can have confidence to pray. But let's just think about that for one second. Let's just think about that for one second. Because God's omnipotence alone, the fact of him being all-powerful alone, isn't cause enough for you to be confident that he'll answer your request, is it? Just because he's all-powerful doesn't necessarily mean he's about to answer your prayer. Think of this. You wouldn't expect Elon Musk to respond to an email from you asking him to pay your mortgage off, would you? Now, he might do it. He might do it, but it's unlikely. It's unlikely that Elon's going to come in and pay your mortgage off, okay? Just because Elon Musk is technically able to pay off your mortgage doesn't mean that he's likely to pay off your mortgage. There's no relationship between you and him. There's no reason on his side why he would do that for you. Just because you know God is omnipotent, just because that's a fact, 
It's a base fact that God is all-powerful doesn't mean that he's a prayer-granting God. Or it certainly doesn't mean that he's going to grant your prayers. You can actually have a perfect knowledge of God's omnipotence, and that still doesn't increase it doesn't increase the probability of him answering your prayers because the demons know that God is all-powerful. The devil knows that God is all-powerful. In fact, the devil's got a better theology of God's omnipotence than most of us Christians. But it's not going to save him, and it's not going to mean his prayers get answered. I don't believe that he does pray. There's no faith. But do you see what I'm saying here? God's omnipotence alone isn't going to give us confidence that he's going to answer our prayers. There needs to be more. There needs to be some kind of relationship there. Jesus actually says, doesn't he, in Matthew 6, you know the Lord's Prayer. How many of you use the Lord's Prayer to pray? It's a brilliant springboard. I'd encourage you, if you don't use it in your prayer life, work through the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes I get into the place of prayer and I forget what I want to pray for. Do you do that? You get into the place of prayer or you pray that one thing that's really bothering you, and then you're like, oh, you know, start tapping your fingers. Oh, I don't know what to do now. Um, check my phone. <laughs> when you've got the Lord's Prayer, you can work through it line by line. Our Father, who art in heaven. Wow. Just stick on that for a minute. Glorify him for him being sovereign in the heavens, ruling over all things. Give him glory that he's your Father. And work through each line by line. That'll give you something to pray on. Anyway, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 9, he says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven. Those four words there. Those four words put two and two together. They put together the omnipotent, sovereign power of God on one hand, in heaven, whenever you see those two words, in heaven, in the Bible, it's not talking about God sitting on clouds playing harps. Did you know that? It's not talking about God being distant and off somewhere else. It's a Jewish, Jewish phrase that is actually speaking about God's sovereign rulership over all in heaven and all on earth. It's talking about his power. So our Father in heaven, sovereign power, our Father, we have a relationship with him. So that's our other cause for confidence. It's not just that he's all-powerful. It's that we are his children through Christ. So we can have confidence. Because now we've got a relationship. We've got a reason to believe that he's going to answer our prayers. Because we're not just his servants. We're not just his slaves. We're not just attending his church every week. We're his kids. We're his children. We're his chosen covenant people and so he has a vested interest in your heart's desires he's interested in your prayers he wants to hear them as a father you know we use this analogy over and over again but it's why God does these things when my children ask a request of me I'm actually interested in what they've got to say it's not a duty for me I actually love it when they come to me with a request I, I, I want to sit them on my lap and say what tell me what you want what do you want to do you know that's how Father is with you. He's interested in your life. He's interested what's going on. He wants to hear it. He wants to help. He's a Father. And so these promises concerning prayer, they are for who? Who are these promises for? Are they for everyone and everyone who ever will live? All the promises are given only to 
God's covenant people, God's children, our Father in heaven. Jesus doesn't teach anyone else to pray, but his people. So these promises for prayer, they're for those who have God as their Father, who are in Christ. They're not for you if you're not in Christ. God doesn't hear all prayer equally, is what I'm saying. He hears the prayers of his children who are in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said there's a condition. There's a condition to having answered prayer. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Did you catch that, the condition? If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So if you're in Christ, if his word is dear to you, and it remains in you, and it guides your life, then you have a promise that God will answer your prayers. If you reject and hate God and despise his word, I'm afraid there's no such promise for you in Scripture. Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, there is no comfort for the unbeliever in Scripture that God will hear them, that God will send them to heaven, that God will do anything. The only promises in Scripture are in Christ are for those who believe. And I would encourage you today always to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Always to test and say, Lord, I believe that salvation is of the Lord, don't I? I preach this, I preach that we can be confident that Jesus Christ is not going to lose one of those for whom he died. He's not going to do it. But that doesn't change the fact that I still check my heart every day and say, Lord, I want to still be walking with you today just as I was yesterday. We're not to become flippant about these things, but we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So Jesus says there's a condition that's required of us in in order to pray and receive an answer from him. We must be God's children and we must what? We must have faith. Did you catch what Jesus said to his disciples just before he goes into these sayings about prayer? Remember that he's just cursed a fig tree and it's withered up. And what was the fig tree supposed to represent? We talked about this last time. The fig tree represented the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus has cursed it And it's withered up from the roots. This was a very serious thing for Jews. I don't think, I've said before, I don't think we grasp how central the temple was to the faith of the Jews in the first century. You can read in the Talmud, which is a writings of, uh, extra scriptural writings of the Jews, and you can read rabbis' teachings from around that time, that they actually believed that if the temple was gone, destroyed, not there any longer, that they wouldn't actually be sure if God would still hear their prayers. Such was the centrality of the temple in their thinking. And Jesus has just said, it's going to be destroyed. So here are these Jews thinking, well, how on earth are we going to get our prayers answered? If the temple gets destroyed, what confidence can we have that God will still hear us? If the temple's ripped stone from stone, and that's true, isn't it? You go to Jerusalem now, 
Where are the stones of the temple? Down in the valley below. Piled up. And it's never been rebuilt. Judaism today is a shadow of the Judaism in the first century. Mike Winger says, on a level, it doesn't even work without the temple. And Jesus is saying, what hope do you have of God answering prayer? You have hope in the new temple, in Christ, and the temple that he's building in his church, which is, as we heard the other week, is you, is us. We are the new temple of God. But Jesus says to them, before he talks to them about what they can receive in prayer, he says to them, have faith in God. Echete pistin theu in Greek. And it's actually a command. It's not a suggestion, okay? It's not, hey guys, you might want to consider just believing a bit more in God. It's a command. Have faith in God. Have faith in Him. Because having faith in God is different than just believing in God, isn't it? Having faith in God is different than just believing in Him. Because the devil believes in God, doesn't he? You talk to people on the streets and you say, you're a Christian, and they say, well, I believe in God. Well, that doesn't mean, does it, that you're a Christian. The demons believe and tremble. Having faith is believing, but it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. It's belief in things you don't see. And why would you believe in things you can't see? Absolutely. Yeah. And because what David's just said is true. You, you believe in things that you can't see with the natural eye. And to the world, that looks like craziness, doesn't it? You know, Richard Dawkins said, faith is blind. But we know that's not true. It's eternal. And we have good cause to believe in certain things that we can't see because faith is deeper than just pure rational belief. Faith is described by the Greek-English lexicon as this. To believe, yes, to the extent of complete trust and reliance. So when David came into the room, he sat down. David didn't perform scientific rigorous tests to check that the seat would be able to hold his body weight. You know, it'd be very strange if he did. But I saw him, he just sat down. Why did he sit down? Because he had faith, he had trust that the chair would hold him up. He had reasonable evidence to trust that it would. And that's what Christian faith is. It's not blind. It's not just completely contrived and arbitrary. It's believing. It's believing beyond what we see because we have good reason to do so. Faith is not blind trust. Faith is believing and trusting with good reason to do so. Jesus says, have faith in God. Faith is trust. And so what it is to have faith in God is to believe him at his word. Not just to believe in God, but to believe him. To believe him at his word. And so when we do believe in God, when we have faith in him, these promises are for us. We're to pray and believe and not doubt. That 
word there when it says pray and, and don't doubt. Believe that you have what you've prayed for. Believe you've received it. Don't doubt in your heart. That word in Greek comes from these two words, diakrino. Krino means to judge. And dia, in a sense, means to kind of de deviate between two judgments. So it's to be double-minded. It says don't be double-minded. When you've prayed for something, don't go away and worry. Well, what if? What if? I'm such a what-ifer. I'm such, well, what if this happens? Lord, what if you don't answer the way I want you to answer? What if you don't answer in the right time frame, Lord God? What will I do then? You know, have you ever had to pray for something and there's a time limit? You know, I, I've spoken to some of you. You've been contending in prayer for things and there's been a time limit. It's been like, well, I'm praying that the Lord does this, but if he doesn't in a week's time, I have to do that. And what the Lord's saying is, Believe you've received what you ask for. Don't worry. Don't be double-minded. Don't go off and worry. Leave it with him. Leave it with him. And I've seen God come through in miraculous ways for some of you. Do you want to say something? Yes. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so our faith, our trust is in Jehovah. It's in God. It's not in ourselves. It's not in our ability to twist God's arm up his back and make him do what we want. And that's the way prayer gets talked about much, much of the time these days, isn't it? It's like, Lord, I decree that you shall do X, Y, and Z. Lord, you will. You, you've got to do this. Lord, we command you would do X, Y, Z. That's not the way Jesus teaches you to pray. So why are you praying that way? You can't twist God's arm up his back. That's, way, that's the way that sorcerers operated. They would perform certain rituals in the hope that their deity would do what they asked. But that's not the way a Christian prays. Our faith and trust is in him, not in our ability to make him do what we want. He is God, not us. Jesus himself, he prayed, didn't he, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we read about that in Mark 14, 35 and 36. It says he fell on the ground and he prayed. Imagine the desperate need of Jesus in that time for his father to hear him. We read elsewhere in the New Testament that he sweat drops of blood. That's something that only happens when there's great trauma. He falls on the floor and he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. There we've got the omnipotence, haven't we? You are omnipotent. I'm not worried that there's going to be any lack on your side. I know that if you want you would deliver me from this right now. All things are possible from you. Remove this cup from me. It says in verse 35 that if it were possible, Jesus prayed that the hour might pass from him. If it's possible, remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. There are Christians today that will teach you that it's wrong to pray that way. That it's actually unbelief to pray, yet not what I will, but what you pray. What you will, rather. They'll say, no, you, you shouldn't add that caveat because that's unbelief. You've got to have faith. Well, this is the way Jesus prayed. And I'm going to side with him. Jesus had faith that God was able, but he also understood that God was sovereign. And these are the two guardrails, brothers and sisters, for our prayer life. These are the two train tracks that your faith is to ride upon. On one rail, you've got the omnipotence of God, and on the other rail, you've got the sovereignty of God. Have confidence that he can answer you. Have confidence that he can do all things because he's omnipotent. On the other hand, understand that your God is also a sovereign God, 
that your God has a decree, that your God has a plan, and your God has timing. And you don't know those things. And we submit also to his sovereign will in all things. So prayer has to come from a believing heart. But finally, as I finish, prayer also has to come from a forgiving heart. A forgiving heart. We read, don't we, in the last verse that Jesus says, and whenever you stand praying, that's the way the Jews used to pray. They stood. Sometimes I need to stand when I pray, otherwise I fall asleep. It's not good. Stand when you pray, it'll keep you awake. Don't lie down and pray when you get in bed. It won't work. Stand up. Jesus says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. Forgive. If you have anything against anyone, that's a broad, broad scheme, doesn't it? Anything against anyone. That could mean anything against the worst person in the world. Against the person that absolutely deserves punishment. Jesus says, if you have anything against even that person, forgive. So that your Father, in, who is also in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. Prayer is ought to come not just from a believing heart, but from a forgiving heart. Because the Bible actually says that there are things which can hinder our prayers from being answered. There are things that can stop your prayers from being answered. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. How many of you husbands need to hear that today? To live with your wife in an understanding way. <laughs> and I'm preaching, to, I'm preaching to the choir. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. How many of you women need to hear that? That you are the weaker vessel and that this is not something to fight against. It's not something we need to throw off. Women physically are weaker than men. It's just a fact. I'm not clobbering anybody. It's the way things are. And husbands are to care for their wives, okay? Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So if a husband is not honoring his wife, if a husband is not being understanding or showing honor to his wife, the Bible says his prayers will be hindered. Isn't that quite severe? Again, so sin and living in sin can block, in a sense, your prayers. Isaiah 1, we read from that chapter earlier. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Whoa. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Because your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the, <laughs> remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So evil in the church, unrepentant sin in the covenant people of God can actually prevent prayers from being answered. Until a, until a, a minister or a church repents of their oppression of the weak and the needy, God will not answer their prayers, it says. Or at least this is what he did in the old covenant. Of course, Matthew 5 says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Don't go into the place of prayer before you've gotten right with your brother or sister. Are there things that you need to forgive others today? There is. There is. I can tell you this, and we can all testify that to be true, can't we? 
I'm not saying that you need to become best friends with that person again. Sometimes friendships are for a season. Sometimes relationships have their course. Sometimes they break down awfully. I don't think the Bible tells us we need to go and be best friends with the person that abused us. But it does say we need to forgive. And so I'd encourage you today, just search your heart on that one. Search your heart on that one. You know, it's, it's so important to live in a place of forgiveness. We might not always get reconciliation. It might not always be available. But as, as, much, as much as is possible for us, we're to live in forgiveness towards others. And we're not to be proud. I think pride is another block for prayer. Pride will block us from getting an answer in prayer. The minute we start thinking we deserve an answer from God, that we're good, we're a good, we're a good Christian. We deserve an answer from God. You know, he, he'll listen to me. He'll listen to me because I'm such a good Christian. I, I move in power. I'm so anointed. I've got the biggest ministry. God will hear my prayers. The minute we start thinking like that, the heavens become as an iron dome and we don't hear what we want from heaven. Spurgeon said this, and I think it's very true. If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. <laughs> I think we always just need to remember. It will help us in forgiveness. We need to remember how much we've been forgiven. Do you realize today that you need forgiveness from Christ? That you need forgiving by God? That the Bible actually says that you as a Christian are not a good person? Huh? So many people today, they think a Christian is a nice guy. Oh, you're one of those good people. No. I'm a wretched sinner who's been saved by grace. I've been transformed by the Holy Spirit, but in myself, I'm not good. I was in Adam. Now I'm in Christ. I've got nothing to boast about. And when we realize how much we need to be forgiven on a daily basis, guess what? It becomes easier to forgive other people and therefore our prayers can be answered. So brothers and sisters, in closing, is there something that you need to forgive someone of today? Is there something you need to release, somebody you need to release today from holding grudges against? Does some of you need to stir up faith in your prayer life? Do you understand that God's omnipotent, but maybe you don't trust that he's your father? Do you need faith? Each of us, Romans 12 says, is given a different measure of faith. Do we need to pray, Lord, give me more faith in my praying. Let my praying be believing praying. Maybe some of you, you need to pray for that mountain to be moved. It's no use going into the prayer closet and not thinking about what you want to pray for. So many Christians, when they get in the place of prayer, they forget what they're in there in the first place for. And they don't visualize what they want. It's like going uptown and doing your shopping and actually just wandering up there and not realizing what you're doing. Well, I don't know why I'm here. You know, I, I do this quite often, actually. You, you end up in a big department store and you're like, oh, I like the look of that. Oh, that's nice. And you wander around, you know. And if you do that in Aldi, you'll come out with all kinds of weird stuff. I'll tell you right now. Yet, yeah, do you know what? You'll be in trouble. So go into the prayer closet knowing what you're going to ask God for. Have a desire in your heart. Lord, I want to see this. I want to see this change. Maybe it's revival in our nation. Maybe it's a change in the church. Maybe it's that your friend comes to Christ. I don't know. But go into that place knowing what you're asking God for in the first place. For some of you, you might 
need to just ask God to help you with unbelief. You believe, but help me with my unbelief. There's still doubts. And that's okay, but we bring those to God. For some of you, maybe it's sickness. There's a mountain in your own life. You bump up against it every day, and it's a sickness, a chronic disease. And that's the thing you need to bring before God. I don't know, but I pray the Holy Spirit would highlight these things for you now. Let's stand and pray. I just invite the worship team to come back up. Father God, we ask right now that you would make us believing prayer warriors. Lord, that you would help us to trust you, to trust your omnipotence and to trust your fatherhood over our lives. To trust your sovereignty, to be able to leave things with you and say, Lord, I don't know if I'll be answered. I know that Paul went to you three times and asked for the thorn in his flesh to be removed, but you didn't do it. And you had your reasons. And Paul submitted to your sovereignty there. Lord, help us to be humble and forgiving in prayer as well. Lord, if there's anything that we're holding against another person today, we ask, Holy Spirit, would you highlight it? And Lord, would you grant the gift of forgiveness to us? Let us walk as you walk. Let us remember that we are just rebels who've been forgiven by God. And Lord, let us offer that same grace and same forgiveness to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to all who offend us. We pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.